Welcome to GlendaleCC.org and to the Glendale Christian KY podcast on iTunes, and thank you for joining us. This week, Senior Minister Jeff Gaines kicks off a new sermon series entitled Love and War, in which we'll talk about what it takes to build a strong marriage. Thank you for listening, and as always, we hope that you learn and enjoy. I want to thank you guys for coming out, and I want you to know as we get started today um, in our time together that you are welcome here just the way you are. Um, I know that sometimes it can be really intimidating to go to a church, maybe for the first time, uh, and, and feel like everybody's looking at you and just thinking weird thoughts about you, but I can promise you we're all weirdos, right, at this church. So if you're a weirdo, you're going to fit right in, uh, but we love you, and we're glad you're here, and uh, our prayer is that you find this place to be a place where uh, you feel comfortable, a place that you can call home, a place that you feel safe, uh, because really, ultimately, we just want you to see Jesus. And when we, when we read the Bible, we see Jesus as a person that, that goes after all those people that are sick, all those people that are hurting, all those people that are confused, all those people that are broken, all those people that are looking for something um, because they've got an emptiness inside. And so Jesus is looking for you today, no matter where you find yourself, however you come into this room, he's looking for you, and he loves you enough to make a difference in your life. So I'm so glad you're here. Church family, can we welcome all our guests with a big hand clap? I'm real excited about the sermon series we're starting today. I'm going to spend the next four weeks uh, discussing this topic, love and war. If you've ever been in a relationship before, you know that it can be a huge blessing, but sometimes it can be an all-out battle. Isn't that right? Uh, and so this month, the next four weeks, I want to share with you some thoughts, some biblical concepts to help you fight for your relationships and, and fight less in your relationships. I, I want to help you fight for your relationships and not as much be fighting in your relationships. First, I want to tell you about the perfect marriage. Uh, are there any Red Skelton fans in here? There, yeah, he's old school. I, I read about him and uh, he had some interesting ideas uh, some um, suggestions so that you could have the perfect marriage. So these are a few of his keys to a perfect marriage. Uh, he said two times a week, we go to a nice restaurant, and we have some good food, some camp companionship. She goes on Tuesdays, and I go on Fridays. She's... <laughs> he said, I take my wife everywhere, but she keeps finding her way back. Don't know how she does. And then he said, uh, we hold hands always. If I let go, she shops. So those are Red Skelton's keys to a perfect marriage. In just a second, don't put it on the screen just yet, but I want to share a Bible verse with you that will give you the key to a perfect marriage from a biblical concept. So if you're a person in here today and you want to have the perfect marriage, you, you never want to fight, you, you never want to be disappointed, you never want to be hurt in your marriage, uh, you never want to have anything to complain about as far as your marriage is concerned, then you need to follow the advice of Paul found in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 8 it is good for them to stay unmarried that is true isn't it why is that true because in uh, verse 28 Paul tells us this those who marry will face many troubles in this life it's true uh, the reality is there is no such thing as a perfect marriage I think we all need to come to terms with that there's no such thing as a perfect marriage. And so go ahead and get that idea out of your mind. But at the same time, I want many of you to understand this, and I think this is really important as we get started today. 
There's no such thing as a perfect marriage, but there's also no such thing as a hopeless marriage. And I believe that uh, this, in the same way that there is no sinner that's beyond the grace of Jesus, there is no relationship that's beyond the redemptive hope that Jesus can bring. I believe with all my heart that if Jesus can heal the sick, then he can heal your marriage. I believe with all my heart that if Jesus can speak calm into the storm, then he can speak peace into your marriage. I believe with all my heart that if Jesus can raise the dead, he can breathe new life into your marriage. So if you're here today and you come carrying a heavy load from the relationship that you're in, you have permission again to hope. You have permission again to believe there's a better day ahead in Jesus' name. I want to pray for you as we get started. Father, we come together in this moment, and we're talking about something that's really personal to all of us. Our, our relationships, our marriages, they can be the biggest blessing in our life, but they can also sometimes be the biggest burden. So, Lord, as we come together, I pray that you'll speak to our hearts exactly what we need to hear. Lord, some of us need, um, we need to be encouraged. We need to be challenged today. And some of us, we just need some hope spoken into our life. So, Lord, I pray that you will speak to us exactly what we need to hear and help us to be receptive to that truth. In Jesus' name, amen. There's no such thing as a hopeless marriage. Um, I've seen several marriages that you may look at from the outside and say, well, there's no way that they're going to be able to, to work this out. There's one relationship in particular. Um, they, they had just everything that could go wrong. It went wrong in this relationship, decimated by abuse, anger, um, and uh, affairs. I mean, it was just, it was like a Jerry Springer episode. Y'all ever seen Jerry Springer? And they have a couple on stage, and they're just talking about this story, and it's like, holy cow, is this reality? Is this real life? And then somebody from backstage will come out and just kick it up like 10 notches. That was this relationship. It was like when you, th when you thought it couldn't get any worse, it got worse. And so I remember thinking uh, and looking at this relationship and just thinking there's no way they're going to be able to work it out. But by the grace of God, that couple is still married 10 years later, and their relationship is better now than it's ever been. And so this morning, I want to share with you where this couple started in the redemptive process. And I think that this principle applies not only to relationships, but every area of your life. And it's a really simple thought, and I'm sure you've heard it a million times before, but I just want to remind you of this and how important it is today. We need to seek God first. In our first sermon of this sermon series about marriages and relationships, the first piece of advice and encouragement I want to give to you today when it comes to your relationships is that you seek God first. This is important because uh, we're all going to worship something. We're all going to worship something. You might not like that thought, but the reality is that your brain, just naturally, without you having to think about it, without any effort on your part, your brain is going to prioritize and categorize everything in your life. Your brain is making a list of what's important. And there's going to be one thing that rises above all the other things as the number one thing on your list. And you will worship that thing. All the other things on your list will revolve around, will be in relation to the number one thing on your list. Think of it this way. You are building your life on something. You are building your life on something. In Jesus' day, uh, when a builder started a house, he started with what was called a cornerstone. A cornerstone was a big stone. It was generally carved to perfection. It was completely square in every way, and they would lay that cornerstone first. 
And then all the other building blocks of that house would be laid in relation to the cornerstone. So if they picked a faulty cornerstone, if it wasn't square in every way, if it wasn't perfectly positioned, then what would happen to all the other stones in the house? They'd be out of alignment, right? And so you're going to build a house that's crooked. When you have a crooked house built on a faulty cornerstone, the likelihood of that house falling down increases, does it not? In the same way, you are building your life on a foundation, on a cornerstone. And if you pick the wrong cornerstone, if you pick a faulty cornerstone, it increases the likelihood of negative things happening in your life. It increases the likelihood of your life crumbling, falling down around you. Jesus had this to say about building your life on the wrong thing. Matthew chapter 7, verse 26 and 27. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house because that's life, isn't it? That's life. The storms come in your life, whether you like it or not, whether you're ready for it or not, they're coming. What happened to the house when the storm came? It fell with a great crash. If your world revolves around your job, what happens when you lose your job? Your whole world crashes. What, if your world revolves around your kids, what happens when your kids move out of the house? Your life comes tumbling down. If your world revolves around a sport or a pleasure or even a relationship, what happens when it's over? What happens when life comes in like a wrecking ball, Miley Cyrus, and destroys your cornerstone? What happens? Your whole world comes tumbling down. You see, there's only one thing that's really worthy of being the cornerstone of your life. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 6 says it this way, for this is contained in Scripture. For all of history, people have been talking about this one thing. Behold, I lay in Zion a, cho a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him, speaking of Jesus, will not be disappointed. Your job will let you down. Your friends will let you down. Your lover will let you down. Your health will let you down. Your money will let you down. Your home will eventually let you down. Everything else in life eventually will disappoint you. There's only one that will never disappoint you. There's only one that will never let you down, and that's Jesus. He's the only thing that's worthy of being number one on your list. He's the only thing that's worthy of building your life on. And Jesus says, if you build your life on him and his words on his way of doing life that you'll never be disappointed that's why jesus says this in matthew chapter 6 verse 33 but seek first now is seeking an active or a passive thing guys if you were to lose your wallet here at church you go home and you realize that you've lost it you tell your wife and then you go and you sit on the recliner and she says hey what are you doing as you flip through the channels you say oh i'm seeking my wallet i'm looking for my wallet is that how it works? That's not how it works, is it? If you're seeking your wallet, if you're seeking your lost purse or a lost coin or some sort of item, you go after it. You actively pursue it. You're, you're not chilling on the recliner. You are, you're active. It's an active thing. So I seek first. Of all the things that I'm pursuing, of all the things I'm running after, of all the things that I'm chasing after, there's one thing that rises above all the other things. There's one thing that I'm pursuing more than I'm pursuing anything else. Seek first his kingdom. Now, when you see that in the New Testament, what it means is the reign of God. It means uh, making God the master of your life, giving God control. Seek first 
his kingdom and his righteousness. Now, when we see that word righteousness, what you may think is just the, the perfection of God, how he's without sin. And that's definitely true, but it's even more than that. Did you know that God is never wrong? All his ways are always right. So if God asks you to do something, he's never going to lead you to a bad place. So the best thing we can do is to seek his righteousness, his way. Seek first his kingdom, his control, and his way in our life. And that's a conjunction that contains a promise. What Jesus is saying here is if you approach this life, life in this way, that you seek God first, then something good is going to happen. So what's going to happen? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things. What's Jesus talking about there? All these things. Well, in the context of Matthew 6, Jesus is talking about the things in, in this life that you worry about. Did any, anybody else wake up like sometimes 2, 3 o'clock in the morning and, and you just roll around for the rest of the night trying to figure out stuff? Anybody else do that? I think we all do it certain times. And what are you rolling around about? What are you trying to figure? It's all these, all these things, isn't it? it? It's the finances, or it's the health, or it's the relationship, or it's the kids, or it's the house, or it's the job. There's all these things that are running through your mind. And this is what Jesus is saying. All these things will be given to you as well. This is what Jesus is saying. Seek God first. Make me the cornerstone of your life. And everything else will fall into place. Put God first and everything else will fall in its proper place. Is there anybody in here that can testify that being true? I know for me, in every area of my life, not just my relationships, but every area of my life, when I do things God's way, it seems like everything else in my life tends to work out. Even when life is hard, even when I, I, I reach these areas and these moments in my life where it seems like things aren't going my way, God has a way of getting me through those moments when I put him first. So here's my encouragement to you today as we get started talking about relationships. The most important thing you can do the place you need to start in every relationship, whether it's a dating relationship or a married relationship, the most important thing you can do is to seek God first. If you're looking for someone to marry today, the most important thing you can do in this moment is to seek God first. If you're a newlywed and you're just trying to struggle through the first year of marriage, and I can tell you from my personal experience that was the hardest year, the first year, if that's you today, my encouragement to you, the place you need to start, seek God first. If you just had a kid, and, and when you have the first child, that's tough on a marriage, isn't it? Trying to navigate, not sleeping, and changing dirty diapers. And, I mean, you can barely keep yourself clean, much less another human. And so that's difficult. can be a challenge on a marriage. Seek God first. The kids just moved out of the house, and you're trying to figure out this marriage, this relationship that used to revolve around the kids and now you're at home alone with your spouse and you're not sure what to do or how to do it, seek God first. No matter where you are in your life, the most important thing you can do, the thing that's going to set everything else in its proper place is to seek God first. Now, if we're going to do that, there's a couple things in our relationships that I want to encourage you with today. The first is this. If we're going to seek God first, one of the things that we need to do in our relationships is we need to stop seeking the one. Stop seeking the one. Now, when I say the one, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, there's this idea, and I don't know where it originated, 
but I've heard it my whole life, that there's a, a person out there that God created specifically for me. And we're going to be a perfect match. When we meet, our eyes are going we're going to catch eyes, and then the world's going to start moving in slow motion, and there's going to be a journey song playing softly in the background, and the music's going to build as we get closer. If you don't know who Journey is, just imagine Taylor Swift. And then fireworks are going to start going off, and we're going to meet, and it's going to be love at first sight. And, and we're going to be perfect for each other. We're like two puzzle pieces. We're going to fit together, and, and this person is going to complete me. They're going to make me whole, and they're going to put the whole world into focus for me, and we're going to live happily ever after. That's the one, right? We've all heard that. So this is what you need to understand. If you believe that to be true, you are sabotaging your relationships. You're sabotaging them. Let me show you how that's true. You realize how much pressure you're putting on your current or future spouse by believing that. They're a perfect match for me. They're going to complete me. They're going to make me whole. Uh, we're going to live happily ever after. I mean, those expectations, no matter how dreamy this person may be, they're never going to live up to those expectations, right? They're always going to fall short of that. So, if you're believing the one, you're, you're making it really hard on that person. You're idolizing them. You're setting them up on a pedestal. They'll never be able to climb up on that. And eventually, what I found is that you will demonize everything you idolize. If you believe that you marry the Greek God, eventually he's going to turn into some sloppy devil. If you believe that you married a perfect ten, eventually she's going to turn into her mother, and then you're not going to know what to do. So what happens then, right? What happens when the, the one you marry, the one you thought was the one, what happens when, when you get married, you, you move in with them, and you realize that they're generally smelly? They, you didn't realize how stinky they were before, until you got married. Or are you, you get married, and you realize how bad they are with money or how sloppy they are in their home or Maybe the S-E-X, I don't want to say the word make you feel uncomfortable in church, maybe the S-E-X isn't nearly as good as you thought it was going to be. And so this person that was supposed to complete you, was supposed to be the perfect match for you, isn't satisfying you to what you expected, not meeting your expectations. So what happens when the person that you thought was the one isn't making you happy? Well, I'll tell you what will happen. You'll conclude that this person that you've ended up with isn't the one. And so the one must still be out there, and so I need to drop the zero so I can find my hero. I need to ditch this person and go out and find the one because I'm sure they're longing for me in the same way I'm longing for them. And so no matter if I'm engaged, no matter if I'm just married, no matter if I've been married for 10 years and I've got three kids, if the one is still out there and I'm not happy with the person I'm with, I've got to end this relationship. You see how destructive this thought pattern can be. We've got to stop seeking the one. We've got to stop seeking the one. What does the Bible say about finding the one? Well, I've looked. I looked for a long time because I've heard this my whole life, that they're, you know, they're just not the one. You know, you hear that. Or the one's still out there. And so what does the Bible say about finding the one? I found one verse, and I'll share it with you in just a second. But the Bible talks very little about finding the right person. It talks very, very, very little about that. It talks a whole lot about being the right person. The Bible talks a lot about what it looks like to love, doesn't it? 
It talks a whole lot about being kind, considering others' interests above your own, um, treating others the way you would like to be treated. How valuable is that in any relationship? The Bible talks a lot about patience. Guys, have you ever heard that song, Waiting on a Woman? Have you? Surely you have. Because, I mean, patience is important. Honey, we are gonna, we're not going to be late. We're going to miss the whole thing, okay? It looks great. Whatever you have on, let's go. Very important. Long-suffering. How important is that in a relationship? The Bible talks a whole lot about being the right person. So this is my encouragement for you. Stop looking for the one. Because great relationships, great marriages, perfect marriages, they're not found, they're formed. They're not found, they're formed. If you want a great relationship, focus on being a great partner. You see how that works? And God's given you all the tools. This is what you have to do in order to be a great partner. Seek God first. Do life God's way. And what you'll find is you become a person that attracts the type of people you want to be with. You see how that works? What happens is you become the person, you become the spouse that you want to be married to. I can't tell you how many times I've seen people and, and they adopt this principle, and they're like, you know, I'm just going to focus on being the best spouse I can be. And it revolutionized their marriage. These people fall in love all over again. And it all started with one person deciding, I'm going to do this marriage thing God's way. Revolutionized. Stop looking for the one. I found the one, by the way. I found the one. The one that's going to complete you, the one that's going to make you whole, the one that's going to fulfill every longing in you. I found him. His name's Jesus. So you can stop looking for the one, and you can start focusing on just being a great partner. It'll pay off. Stop seeking the one. Here's my other encouragement for you this morning. Seek the one as two. Seek the one as two. This is what I mean by that. It's so powerful when a couple seeks God together. So powerful. So, so powerful. There is one verse that I could find about finding the right person. In all the Bible, I looked and looked and looked for one verse. I found one verse and this is the only thing the Bible says about finding the right type of person to be married to. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. This is the only verse I could find. This is what the Bible is saying. As far as it concerns you, to the best of your ability, try to find somebody that's on the same spiritual level that you're on. So when you go, if you're single today, and many of you are, I know there's several young people in here, and you're looking for somebody that you're attracted to, you're looking for somebody that is going to make a lot of money or whatever, whatever your criteria is, it's weird, different for everybody. Number one criteria should be, and this is what I'm praying for my girls, that they love Jesus the way you love Jesus. Not that they say they love Jesus, but that they actually love Jesus and they display their relationship with Jesus in the same way you display your relationship with Jesus, I pray this for my girls every single day. I say, Lord, please, I pray that my girls, Ella, Cana, and Selah, I pray they, rep they are repulsed by any man that doesn't love you. I pray that every day. Lord, I pray that they grow up to marry a godly man and raise a godly family and that they're plugged into a godly church. I pray that every single day because it's so important. I've seen it time and time again. The most hopeless marital situations, from my perspective, are those relationships where you've got one spouse that loves Jesus and is actively pursuing him, 
And then you've got the other spouse that could care less, that doesn't ever want to go to church, that doesn't want to pray, that doesn't read the Bible, that could care less about faith. Those relationships are nearly impossible when they break up to restore it. Nearly impossible. Why? Because they're operating under two sets of rules, two different sets of rules. They're operating under two different value systems. How, how do you make that work? That's why 614, 2 Corinthians 614 says this, how can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? It doesn't work. It's like oil and water. How can light live with darkness? This is what I found. It's really difficult. It's really, really difficult. And so my encouragement for you is to seek the one as two. Make sure as a couple you're seeking Jesus. Harvard recently did a study, and they tracked marital success rates. And this is what they were trying to figure out. The, the marriages that last, the marriages that don't end in divorce, what do they have in common? Now, the Bible's been saying this for years and years. I mean, thousands of years the Bible's been saying this. But the Harvard study, they found three things. And it backs up what the Bible's been saying for thousands of years. Three things that you can do to increase your odds of marital success. Okay, so I want to put this in perspective. Currently, and this is kind of sad, but marital success rates are about 50%. And, and that's, that's true whether you are a completely secular person, don't go to church, don't believe in Jesus. It's also true if you go to church. Unfortunately, marital success rates are around 50% all across America. So the Harvard study, what they found is if you do these three things, it increases your odds of marital success and greatly de decreases your odds of getting a divorce. So your odds of getting a divorce go from 50% to 1 in 1,000. Those are pretty good odds, right? So let's just imagine this. Let's try and put it in a real practical sense. Let's say you go to the airport. You go to the counter, and the person at the counter says, okay, you got a couple options to get to your destination. They leave at the same time. They're going to arrive at the same time. But this one plane is old and rickety. It makes all sorts of weird noises, and it's leaking something. We haven't figured out what. you got about a 50% chance of making it there. The other plane is going to cost you a little bit more. It's a little bit of an investment, but uh, you're, you're, the odds of getting there are much greater. There's only a 1 in 1,000 chance that this plane is going to go down. But like I said, it's a little bit more of an investment. Is there anybody in here that's going to take their shot on the 50-50 just a little bit cheaper? Anybody? You crazy, if so. Okay, so all that to say this. If there's three things that we can do, to greatly increase the chance that our marriage is going to be a successful marriage. It's going to be a lasting marriage. Don't you think it's worth a little bit of investment? Anybody? Is anybody in here that thinks so? We all asleep. I'll wait on you. We wait here. Anybody? Does that, that look? Yes. Yes? Okay. I'm going to share these three things with you. Number one, they found Harvard study corroborates what the Bible says. Harvard study. Pray together. We've heard it said, you've heard it time and time again. A couple that prays together, what? Stays together. It's true. It's what Harvard study found. Now, you might think, well, what, what does that look like? And I'll tell you what it looks like for me and Erica. Not that we're the perfect couple, because there's no perfect couple. But this is how it works for us. Um, we have in our live, dining room a prayer board. And so we put prayer requests up there. It's a visual representation, a reminder of things to be praying for. Uh, about three times a week, that's how often we get to have a meal together in the evening because we've got kind of crazy schedules right now. And so when we have a meal together as a family, uh, as part of that meal, we're going to talk over our prayer board. We're going to pray over it. We pray together. 
On top of that, I know that Erica prays for me every day, and I know that I pray for her every day. We are a praying couple. Pray together. Here's the next thing that you need to do. Discuss the Bible together. Discuss the Bible together. Now, again, I'll just tell you what Eric and I do, because you might think, well, do we need to have a devotion every day? No, that might not be feasible for you. I know it doesn't, that's not going to work for Eric and I because of our schedules. But we're both doing currently the 5 by 5 reading plan. Bible reading plan, you read through the New Testament one year. If you want more information about it, come and talk to me after service. I love it. I'm loving this. It's in the bulletin. You can read more about it. So we're both reading that. Um, generally through the week, we'll just talk about some of the stuff that we're reading. We don't have like a specific time where we sit down and we're like, okay, we're going to talk about the Bible now. We don't do that. It's just, hey, did you read the, the reading today? Yeah, I did. What did you think about this? It's just part of our life. Once a week, we're part of a small group. We come together, and we talk about the Bible as a small group. We're just discussing the Bible together. Harvard study says this greatly increases your chance of marital success. Last thing, number three, go to church together. Go to church together. I might add regularly. Go to church together. Something powerful happens because a marriage, listen, a marriage isn't just a union, okay? This isn't just like something where you can, it's like a tax incentive. It's, it's more than that, right? It's a spiritual thing. And so when you invite God into your marriage in a really powerful, intimate way, something supernatural happens between your hearts, and it brings you closer together. So we go to church together regularly. Now I'm going to add something here. This is a side note. But stay-at-home parents do not make go-to-church kids. I'm going to say that again because this is really important. A lot of us, we want to raise kids that love Jesus. Don't we? But sometimes we're not intentional and we're not we're not um, dedicated to making sure that happens. And so I want to encourage you, if you want kids to grow up and love Jesus, to be involved in the church, to do life God's way, you better make sure that you and your wife or you and your husband are doing life God's way. Attend church together regularly. So let me illustrate what this looks like. Um, I, thought, I saw this a few years back. This is a relational pyramid, okay? And at the top, we have God. It makes sense to put God number one on our list, not just with relationships, but everything, because God's the creator. And if God created everything, if he's kind of the inventor, don't you think of everything that he understands better than we understand? Like, he's probably got this figured out better than I do, especially when it comes to marriage. You know God created marriage, and so he's got a very specific plan for it. In Genesis, we see that God made Adam from the dust of the earth. You remember this story? And then he took a rib out of Adam. And he made Eve, and then he brought them together. And, and the two shall leave the mother and father and cleave to one another. The two will become one. You remember this story? God created, that's the first marriage. God created it. So he's got the perfect plan for marriage. He knows how it works better than we know how it works. And so this is God's plan for marriage. One husband and one wife. That's God's plan. Okay, let me spell this out a little bit. God's best for all of us. God's original intention one husband, one wife. Not one wife and one wife. Not one husband and one husband. Not one husband and one wife and one side chick. Doesn't work that way. God's best for you, one husband, one wife. And these two people actively 
seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. They're growing closer to Jesus. They're trying to do life God's way. They're trying to do marriage God's way. What happens as the husband and the wife grow closer to God? What happens? What happens to their relationship, the proximity, the intimacy between them? They get closer together. You see how that works? And I found this to be true in my marriage. Eric and I, we are our marriage is better today than it's ever been. And we didn't go to like a marital counseling or we didn't go to some sort of like retreat. I'm not saying those things are bad. Those things are great. But the thing that's made the biggest difference for us is that we're both actively pursuing Jesus. And we're closer to Jesus than we've ever been before. And because we're closer to Jesus than we've ever been before, we're closer together than we've ever been before. I want that for all of you. God wants that for all of you. Because he created marriage to be a blessing, not a burden. He's created your relationships to be a blessing, not a burden. And so this is what we do. We seek God first. We stop seeking the one. We found the one. His name's Jesus. So we're going to seek God first, and we're going to seek the two, or seek the one as two. Pray with me. Father, thank you so much for your word, and we trust it. Lord, we're glad that you're a creator that's active and interested in his creation. And you don't just leave us here in the chaos of the world and say, you figure it out. You've given us a template. You've given us a perfect plan. Help us to trust it. Lord, help us to trust it because it works. Lord, we love you. I pray, I pray hope. I pray peace. I pray restoration. I pray healing in the relationships represented in this room. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to thank you guys so much for being here. I hope this is helpful. Is this helpful at all today? We're going to do it again next week. Uh, and I think next week's going to be really interesting, so I think you'll come back for that. It's going to be really good. Uh, but I, I want to say this before we leave. Uh, I am an advocate for every marriage in this room. And I, it tears me up when people separate and when they get divorces. That's why the Bible said God hates divorce, because it's destructive. It's, it's worse than a plane crash in many ways, because the, the negative ripple effect of that goes on and on, and sometimes for generations. And many of you know what I'm talking about. And so this is what I want you to understand today. If you're here and your marriage is struggling, and I can help, you come and see me. I'd be glad to help you. And it's free of charge. I'll help you as long as I can help you. And then if I can't help you, we'll get you somebody who can. But I'm an advocate for your marriage. This church is an advocate for your marriage. We love you guys. I'm so glad you were here. I pray as you leave from here, you go loving and following Jesus to the best of your ability. And when you do that, he will bless you. Thanks for being here. Love you guys.